Our last talk is Jesus the Healer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we welcome your presence this day. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to open our hearts and our minds this day to your healing presence. Help us, Lord, not to deny you anything, but to give our whole selves to you this day, including all of our pain and all of our sufferings and all of our fears. Because we trust, Lord, that you ultimately alone are our healer. Our Lady's Seat of Wisdom, pray for us. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. It's a reading from the Gospel of Mark. There was a woman who had a flow of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I shall be made well. And immediately the hemorrhage ceased, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone forth from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garment? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had been done to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, and be healed of your disease. Recently, I heard a, a story from a good friend of mine who is um, deeply involved in AA. And he, he was telling me the story about one of, their, one of his friends who had kind of just fallen off and stopped going to meetings and started drinking again. And so he had this he had a several a series of interventions with him and none of which seemed to be working and so the one day he invited this friend of his to what was the meeting that he normally uh, attended and all the people who were there in that meeting were there and his friend comes in and this this guy my own friend he has him sit in the front of the room and so it's, it's my friend and this guy sitting facing each other and the group is, is on the side. And my friend says to him, he says, we'll call, we'll call this man John. He says, John, what do you love most in your life? And John is sort of looking at him strangely thinking this is a strange question. And he just pauses for a moment and he says, my wife. 
And immediately as he says, my wife, everyone in the group stands up and shouts, liar. And John is sort of struck by this. He's not knowing what to make of, of what's going on. And so my friend asks him again, he says, John, what do you love most in your life? And so he pauses for a few moments and he says, um, my career. And as soon as he says my career, the people in the group stand up again and they shout out, liar. And at this point, John is becoming aware of what's happening and you can see him sort of beginning to well up, tears in his eyes. And my friend asks him again, John, what do you love most in your life? And John looks out of the group and he says, my friends. And they stand up again and they yell back at him. They say, liar. And now at this point, John is, tears are, are flooding out of his eyes. And as he's sitting in that chair sobbing, he looks up at his friend, he looks up at the, the people in the group, and he finally says, he says, alcohol is what I love most. And at that moment, when he says those words, everybody in the group gets up, and they go over to John one by one, and they embrace him. And each one of them says to him, John, welcome home. Welcome home. I believe that story is a, a very good paradigm of the human condition. Because it illustrates this basic fact that each one of us, you and I, we are in desperate need of help. And most of the time, we deny it. Or if we don't deny it, we turn to the various things of this world in the hopes that they will heal us that they will restore us. And sometimes those things are, are very good things. Like everything that John mentioned, family, career, friends, those are all good things. They're not only great things, they're, they're wonderful things. But they're not enough. They're never enough. They're never enough to bring about the healing and the restoration that we are in need of, each one of us. I've experienced something interesting in um, just in my ministry of, of spiritual direction because I'm at the sort of point right now where it was certain certain um, a few of my directees I've sort of been walking with them for years and I've been with them as they started discerning various vocations so religious life or uh, marriage or maybe a particular ministry or whatever it might be 
And I, it's funny because now I've noticed in the beginning of that discernment and in the beginning of that direction, the emphasis was always on the external aspect of that vocation. So if this particular person was discerning a particular community, they would always uh, talk about the community, how, how wonderful the sisters or the brothers are, or how great they love uh, the ministry. Or if it's somebody who's discerning marriage, they meet someone and they're just sort of in awe of the person and they, and they think the person is, uh, is a saint. And what's funny is that <laughs> over time, over months, and over years, as maybe they enter into that vocation or begin to see it uh, more deeply and experience it, experience it more fully, that aspect, the external aspect, begins to lessen. It's no longer, you know, this religious order is perfect, or my spouse is a saint, or this ministry fulfills me. That kind of conversation begins to diminish as a person begins to settle more deeply in their vocation. And on one level, it could be a crisis point for somebody because what seemed like an initial attraction is not so attractive anymore. But what is God doing with them in this situation? Well, it seems to me that what God is doing is that he's reminding them, he's reminding them, I believe, that he, Jesus, is their ultimate vocation. In other words, he allows, he allows us to encounter the humanity of a spouse or a religious order or the people that I'm with in ministry to remind us that it is only his divinity that heals. That it is only his divinity that fulfills your spouse, your religious community, your church, your friends, your children, they will not heal you. Jesus at times will use all of that for sure as part of your healing process. He will speak to you through them. You will experience his love through them. But ultimately, it is only Jesus who can heal you. I think it's worth asking the question, right now in my life, today, what is the disposition of my heart? Where is my heart going to right now? What is it open to? Is it really open to Jesus? To seeking him in all things? 
Or am I living in denial that I'm in need of healing? And that everything is everybody else's fault. Or is my heart intent on pursuing the things of this world as a remedy? Believing that if I make a certain amount of money, or if I read a, a certain amount of books, or drive the right kind of car, marry the right kind of person, enter the right religious order, that those things will heal me and take away this ache. So where is your heart? If we are honest, and if you're normal, it's probably all over the place. One minute we are with Jesus, and then the next we're pursuing the things of the world, trying to prove to everyone that I have my life together, or that I'm a super Catholic, or that I don't, I don't suffer because I'm strong, because I'm smart, competent. My friends, that is a lie. And it's a great illusion. Why are we in need of healing? You know, there are many answers to that question. There are answers, there are theological answers, philosophical answers that we could give to that question why we are in need of healing. But the most basic answer to that question is because life hurts at times. Life hurts everybody at times. Does it matter your age? doesn't matter your gender, your ethnicity, your social class, your education. Life hurts everybody at times. When I was in uh, the seventh grade, so I had gone to Catholic school for the first six years of of my education and then I was put into my parents put me into a public school and so when I was in junior high this is the first week of being in junior high taken out of Catholic school I had come from what was a very idyllic situation I was a very sheltered child I mean this Catholic school was fantastic we had loving teachers a loving priest we went to mass we prayed I had no idea that most of the world did not live like this. And in my first week in this public school, um, one morning I, I went to the wrong class. 
And when I entered this, this class for what I thought where I was supposed to be, I knew something was wrong because all the other students were ninth graders. And so I entered the class as a seventh grader and there was about maybe 10 ninth graders. And it was pretty much the entire football team and the cheerleaders. <laughs> and so when I walked into this class, um, it took like a minute or two for all the, the football players especially to start almost like making fun of me and saying, hey, like kid, what are you doing here? Like, this isn't for you. And um, I didn't really know what was going on. I thought they were laughing and joking. So I pulled out my schedule and I was like trying to look and all this stuff. And um, for about, and I don't know where the teacher was, he wasn't there yet. And so for about five minutes, these, these football players just started making fun of me and laughing at me. And it was the first time that that really ever happened. And then finally, thankfully, the teacher came in and he saw what was happening and he looked at my schedule and he said, actually, you know, you're supposed to be in this classroom. So he showed me where it was. And so I got to the right, I eventually made it to the right class. But you know, what was so fascinating was that those five to 10 minutes of, of really just being made fun of and laughed at left an enormous, enormous damage in my heart. You know, very shortly after I became uh, deeply insecure, I became afraid of life and I began to, to doubt myself. Essentially, I became afraid of the world. I became afraid of life. And so fast forward from that five years to when I'm in high school and I'm a senior in high school and now my mother uh, gets sick. She suffers from uh, depression and eventually uh, gives up on life. And once again, I experience this whole new world of pain and of suffering. And I was left utterly confused and disoriented. I didn't know where to go, what to do, or how to respond. And somewhere and somehow, in the midst of all of this, I heard the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And I remember when I heard those words, I remember thinking that there was something so utterly different about Jesus. There was something different about his words. They, they felt different. For many people said similar things, but something, something here was different. They had an authority behind them. 
There was a sincerity and a compassion that I didn't experience anywhere else. And it wasn't because the people in my life were not loving or, or didn't care about me. But just like me, they didn't know what to do. And they didn't know what to say. They were ultimately limited. And so I began to take Jesus on his word. I began to pray. I began to listen to his word. I began to receive the sacraments. everything changed. It's not that the healing went away or the pain went away necessarily, but there was a greater space in me. There was this realization that there was someone who was embracing me during all of this. Someone that was much stronger than the pain. And you know, Jesus, at least to me, he never explained to me why these different things happened. But he was with me. He loved me. And he told me he would never leave me alone. And honestly, I can't think of anything more healing than that. When God says to us, my son or my daughter, I am with you, I love you, and I will never leave you alone. That is so healing. And this is what Jesus says to each one of us. We don't want to try to explain away or interpret our suffering. Jesus doesn't ask us to figure it out. He simply tells us to go to him. Jesus never says, get yourself together, figure out what is going on and what is bothering you. But he does say, come to me. Come to me as you really are, in your pain, in your confusion, and in your hurt. You know, one thing about Catholics is I think sometimes we're too pious. You know, I know some people who are suffering so much in their life, or they've experienced so much suffering. And sometimes I'll ask them, you know, are you... Are you bringing this, this heartache, are you bringing this pain to Jesus? And they'll say something like, well, no, but I pray the rosary every day. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, it's great to say the rosary every day. But we still have to bring ourselves to Jesus. Mary herself brought her needs, her worries, her concerns to Jesus at the wedding of Canaan when she says, son, 
they have no wine. If we don't bring ourselves honestly before the Lord, there is a good chance that we will never experience his healing in this life. And what a tragedy that would be. And so practically, what does, what does the healing process look like? Well, ultimately, what we're talking about here is a, is a whole life that is oriented towards God, right? But there are two things. Jesus says that the greatest, that the two greatest commandments is we are to love God with our whole heart and our neighbor as ourself. To love God and to love our neighbor is the, it's the Christian life in basic summary. This is our healing process. And in many ways, this is God's remedy for our restoration. So to love God, this is gonna, this might sound a little harsh and I don't, I don't mean it to sound, sound harsh, but a person who doesn't pray regularly, daily, is in serious danger of living a self-absorbed, superficial existence. I'm sorry if that hurts, but it's the truth. If we are not praying every day, we are very close to living a superficial, vain existence. And the simple reason is, is because in prayer, we are learning to turn away from ourselves, from the completely superficial and vain pursuits of our culture, and opening our whole being towards God. This is essentially this denial of self that Jesus talks about all the time in the Gospels. When we take time to pray every day, when we are saying to God, we are saying that God, you are important in my life. Not somebody as, not simply as somebody who can fix my problems, but somebody who I want to be in relationship with. Somebody who I want to know more deeply. Through daily prayer, we are saying, Lord, I am committed to you. I love you. And of course, by prayer, I'm not just talking about reciting prayers, which is important and necessary as well. But I'm talking more about being with God, with listening to Him and opening ourselves to Him. This is one way, a very important way, in which we can love God and grow in our love for Him. 
Because when you love somebody, you simply want to spend time with them. And of course, you know, for most of us, we're not talking about hours and hours a day, right? But we are talking about some time, and that's gonna look different for each person with where they're at in their life and what's available to them. But some time alone with God in prayer is necessary if we want to experience more deeply his healing and his presence. And now to the tough one, love our neighbor. Who is your neighbor? The short answer, everybody. Every single person on this planet is our neighbor. No matter their ethnicity, religion, race, creed, gender, we are all one. We are all brothers and sisters. This means your in-laws. This means the people at the grocery store, the people you, you're stuck in traffic with, the people you work with, the people who you don't think like you, the people who you don't like. They are your neighbor. And we must try, keyword, try to love them. What does love look like in, in actual life, in reality? Paul says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at the wrong, but rejoices in the right. That is what love looks like in action. How that is manifested in our lives will be different every day. But that, I believe, is a good foundation for us to work from. And the important thing in all of this is not that you do this perfectly, because nobody does. Nobody loves God and neighbor perfectly, not even the saints. The saints are not perfect people, but they are people striving towards this. Striving to give God time every day in prayer and to love all those who God places in your life. This is our life work. I can't think of anything more important and more necessary than this. Yes, of course, we have to go to work. We have to do all of the other things that we have to do. But to give God some time daily in prayer each day and to try to love those whom God places in our life Everything else is secondary. But the important thing is, is we don't get to choose who God places in our life, oftentimes. 
So we don't get to choose the people we work with or people who we go to school with or even the people who are in our church. God has placed those people in our lives for a reason. First and foremost, to love them. And if we realize that and try to live that, we are, as Jesus says, not far from the kingdom of God. And so this prayer stuff and this loving stuff, it's going to kill you. <laughs> this is not for the faint of heart. But what is killing you and I even more is not coming to Jesus. What is killing you and I even more is us trying to heal ourselves or going to other people and expecting or even demanding them to heal us. Yes, this is difficult. The gospel is difficult. But I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if you persevere and trust God, in this little death, you are going to rise to a new life, to a deeper life, and yes, a healthier life. One that you might have thought was never even possible. God bless you.